Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, February 18th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. A winter catastrophe in Texas growing worse, thousands of people still without power, major cities issuing boil water advisories, and at least 30 people now dead because of the severe weather. The White House backing a massive new immigration overhaul plan, carving out a pathway to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants in the U.S. And with the nation still facing a pandemic, new concerns about a rise of the U.K. variant as vaccine rollout slowed down. And with the nation still facing a pandemic, new concerns about the rise of the U.K. variant as vaccine rollout slowed down because of the massive winter storms. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with this. Extreme winter weather continues to wreak havoc in many parts of the country. Texas has been one of the most impacted states. Today, power outages dropped for the first time in four days, but millions of residents have another issue on their hands, disrupted water service. This, as lawmakers face mounting criticism over their response. Andrea Linares has more details. The power crisis is entering its fourth painful day amid still frigid winter weather. We have been without power for 60 hours now. It's about 55 inside the house um, with the fireplace going. The power is slowly coming back online, outages dropping by at least 20% late Wednesday, but still about half a million customers remain in the dark. The Lone Star State reporting more power outages this week than during Hurricane Harvey, which decimated the area in 2017. Every source of power the state of Texas has access to uh, has been compromised. Officials in Galveston County say it could be this weekend before the lights come back on. We plan on Saturday being the earliest that we're going to have a full restoration of the electrical power in Galveston County, and I can't even promise that. Residents are angry and desperate, many also going without water as freezing temperatures knocked out water plants and burst pipes in homes. Our whole apartment! About 7 million people in the state are now under a boil tap water order before drinking it. Officials say they're currently running tests on the water to see if it's safe to drink again, but those tests take 24 hours to complete. The loss of power and water also impacting food supply chains and emergency services. We got three kids at home, four, six, and nine. We're trying to keep the babies warm. The low water pressure has meant that our hospitals can't adequately operate, uh, our fire departments can't adequately operate. The bitter cold not only impacting people, but animals as well. Volunteers have rescued more than 2,500 cold-stunned sea turtles from icy waters. They've been taken to a convention center in South Texas. And in San Antonio, at least 12 primates froze to death at an animal sanctuary. The winter storms that have swept much of the country have left more than 30 people dead, but authorities say they expect that number to rise. In Texas alone, emergency responders say 911 calls are way up. Hospitals are treating hundreds of patients for exposure to the cold and for carbon monoxide poisoning as Texans have been using generators or staying in their cars just to keep warm. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. 
Thank you, Andrea, for that report. Meanwhile, Senator Ted Cruz is under fire for an apparent trip to Cancun, Mexico, as millions struggle across his home state. The AP reporting that the Republican legislator was photographed with his family traveling to Cancun, fleeing from the cold. As all of this morning, this, his office had not responded to comments from the AP, but some sources say he could return soon to his state. Meanwhile, one family's tragedy highlights the critical situation in Texas as a mother is now mourning the loss of her son, only 11 years old, after spending two days in temperatures well below freezing. It all happened shortly after the child arrived from Central America to reunite with his family. Nidia Cavazo spoke to the family and has more on this very sad story. Carolina, this immigrant family had been sleeping in their mobile home for two nights without a heater given the power outages in Texas. It wasn't until Tuesday morning when this mother woke up, she found her son dead in bed. Christian Pavon was only 11 years old. His mother had recently paid the smuggler so he could be brought to the U.S. from Honduras and both could be reunited. Earlier in the day, we had been outside, his mother says. I was taking photos of him. He was playing at night before sleeping. He was fine. I never imagined this would happen. On Tuesday morning, upon waking up, she soon found her son was not breathing while he slept. We think it was because of the cold. He played, he ate dinner, and then he let me know he was going to bed. The 11-year-old slept wrapped in blankets on Monday night. According to his mother, given temperatures in their home city reached 12 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a community not accustomed to extreme cold. I tucked him in bed with blankets. We don't understand why he died. We could only cover him well. There was no heater. Just the day before, Christian was happily playing in the snow. His mother assured everything was okay. The Pineda family immediately called the authorities, and they are now awaiting the autopsy results to identify his cause of death. My wish was to be with him. He was growing up, and we had a lot of plans for the future. While they wait for the autopsy results, his mother tells us her wish is to save enough money to send his body back to Honduras so he may rest at home with his grandparents in case she is deported. Authorities say it can take up to three weeks before the family can get their autopsy results back. And though it has not yet officially been confirmed that the cold was in fact tied to his death, his mother says she can only assure they were very cold that night. For U News in Houston, Nidia Cavazos. Thank you, Nidia, for that report. And for more on the situation in the capital of Texas, we're joined by Pedro Rojas, who's in Austin with more details. Pedro. Carolina, while the snow continues to fall down here in Austin, Texas, this is the tragic scene of a fire that took place just in the last day here in the city. They left two people dead, one in critical condition and three others with minor injuries. Even though this fire in this house is under investigation, we presume that it has to do with the weather because this area just barely got the power back on this morning. All of this is happening. Uh, while this city has issued overnight a boil water order for the entire area because the surface of water has been affected also by the cold weather. Besides that, the fire department is reporting that in the last couple of days they have attended at least over 60 emergency calls for mon carbon monoxide exposure, meaning the residents are, are trying to get a, in any way possible heat in their homes and unfortunately putting themselves in harm's way. Also, the, uh, the cold weather continues in this state, and especially in central Texas, as we can see, the snow is still falling 
This means that the temperature is not going to help for the restoring of power, for the restoring of life back to normal in many streets in this city. And besides that, in many houses that didn't have power for so long, for almost two or three or four days, many pipes have broken. And this has led to power service being cut off of this city, of these houses, because now they have to do plumbing repairs. Now, all of this is happening while the cold weather again continues in Central Texas and especially here in Austin, where many residents are still waking up to this new reality of being affected by this, this, this destroying winter storm. Back to you, Carolina. And thank you, Pedro, for that report. And Border Patrol agents rescued 23 undocumented immigrants who were exposed to frigid temperatures in Texas. These are the photos of the rescues released by U.S. Customs and Border Protection on Wednesday. Authorities say they began receiving 911 calls over the weekend from undocumented immigrants lost and in need of medical care and food. Most were provided with treatment by the agents, but two people were transported to a local hospital after displaying signs of hypothermia, according to the release. Now, Border Patrol says the migrants come from Mexico and Central America. And joining us to discuss the situation in Texas is Emily Grubert. She's a civil and environmental engineering professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. Thank you so much for having me. Professor, your work focuses on making better decisions about large infrastructure systems. What is going through your head as you watch this crisis unfold? Yeah, it's a horrible situation, and I think a lot of what we're starting to see outside of the stories that are coming out of Texas really shows how much of a crisis this is. As somebody who does look at kind of the combined social and environmental systems that we see with infrastructure, one of the things that is very, very clear in this situation and many others like it is that we really do need to be prepared for these types of extreme emergencies in a way that's a bit more integrated than we've seen in the past. There's been a lot of focus on how we can make the grid more resilient and how we can really focus on ensuring that the power doesn't go out. It's a very, very important conversation. But I think what we're seeing here is that we also really need to make sure that if the power does go out, people have a way to get to safety and we have real understanding of what we're going to do if these emergencies evolve. Now, we saw Texas Governor Greg Abbott blame the power outages on renewable energy. Is this true? No. What's pretty clear right now is that the entire grid is suffering, but most of the outages that were unexpected when the storm really hit are related to the more conventional systems. So the thermal power plants like gas, coal, and nuclear that uh, still forms the majority of the grid. Now, Texas has not been part of the national grid since the 1930s. Explain to us why and how that is related to the blackouts we're seeing. Yeah, so Texas is unique among the continental United States in that it does not actually have the majority of its grid connected to other states. There are some exceptions uh, through parts of Texas, but the majority of it is on its own. One of the real impacts of that in this situation is that the emergency conditions associated with this very long and very deep cold spell are actually being felt across the entirety of the Texas grid. So they're not actually able to draw on some of the resilience that you often get if you've got an emergency in one part of your grid, but not another. Part of this is related to the fact that it's quite a bit smaller. And so some of the grids that we've seen similar conditions on that haven't been struggling as much are benefiting from being connected to bigger systems. Now, Emily, did we see any warnings that something like this was going to happen? 
it's an interesting question, and I'm sure we'll be thinking a lot about what we could have done and what should have been foreseen in advance. There was an event back in 2011 that a lot of people have been talking about. It was actually in Austin for that one, where we similarly saw blackouts associated with power plants going down due to cold. There were some weatherization um, recommendations made at that point for power plants. I don't know enough about this current situation to know whether those would have been totally sufficient, but I think there will be a lot of questions about whether some more resilience um, investments should have been made here. Well, thank you so much for your time, Professor Emily Gruber, engineering professor at Georgia Tech. Thank you so much. And the White House just announced a sweeping immigration bill to be introduced into Congress today. Under that plan, undocumented immigrants will be able to get a green card and after eight years will qualify for citizenship. But even with Democratic majorities in both chambers, the proposal still faces obstacles. Janet Rodriguez has the details from Washington, D.C. Janet, what does the bill entail? That's right, and it is being considered the most ambitious and comprehensive immigration bill introduced in the Congress. Not only does it propose a pass to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants, but it also wants to reform the legal, the legal immigration system to let more people into the country legally, and it allocates funds to fight the root causes of undocumented immigration. In a press conference today, Senator Bob Menendez and Linda Sanchez of California, Menendez of New Jersey, both sponsors of the bill, they introduced the legislation formally and expressed optimism of getting it through both chambers. So uh, I know that many are thinking, does this bill have any chance of passing the Senate with 60 votes? And the answer is we won't know until we try. We Democrats are putting forward President Biden's vision for immigration reform because we believe it is the right vision for immigration reform. We know the path forward will demand negotiations uh, with others, but we are not going to make concessions out of the gate. We're not going to start with 2 million undocumented people instead of 11 million. We will never win an argument that we don't have the courage to make. We will do the righteous thing and make our case for bold, inclusive, and lasting immigration reform. And we will have, as we have seen in poll after poll, the vast majority of Americans standing with us. But it will certainly be an uphill battle. Republicans have showed little support for the bill so far, arguing that right now the priority continues to be on the pandemic and that this is not the right time to tackle immigration reform, some have said. Others, like Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, have called it blank amnesty. And well aware of the difficulties that the bill may have in passing both the House and the Senate with bipartisan support, President Biden has signaled at a town hall, at a CNN town hall that he held last Tuesday night, that he is open to considering a standalone bills that would legalize smaller group of immigrants. But he says that he does believe that there is a reasonable path to citizenship for all. And this measure, as presented today, would only apply to those who came into the country illegally before January 1st, 2021. Back to you. Thank you for that information, Janet Rodriguez. Now let's go to immigration attorney Ezequiel Hernandez to understand a bit more about this plan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Carolina. Now from the information we have so far, what does it mean for undocumented immigrants right now in the U.S.? 
Well, right now it doesn't mean really much in terms of uh, a tangible solution for them. The first thing we want to tell everyone is that this is a proposal. Obviously, the, the bill has been introduced right now, but there is a, a legislative process that has to happen. So the first thing that I would tell everybody is to uh, not fall into the hands of people that may uh, want to do something fraudulent. Uh, that's number two. And number three is to continue to be informed uh, in the process. Hopefully, uh, we will be putting out information as the process goes on. As uh, Janet uh, mentioned earlier, uh, there may be uh, some challenges in terms of votes with the Republicans, but in terms of the actual tangible change for individual, what we are really looking for is the um, executive orders that the, the administration may put in place in order to get people through this process and then eventually have this uh, immigration reform approved, hopefully. Now, what could this mean for DACA recipients, TPS holders and farm workers? Yeah, those three groups of people are the ones that, uh, according to the proposal, would be uh, benefited faster. Uh, that's why I suggest for uh, individuals who qualify for DACA to apply for DACA, because they would be able to right away be able to uh, apply for a green card and not wait for the five years with a work permit. The same goes for the TPS holders. Um, these individuals have to continue to re-register. That's the process that they need to do. And for um, the, work, uh, the uh, um, uh, field workers, the, the, the farm workers, they have to be able to show uh, evidence that they work in this industry. So those three groups uh, would be benefited uh, from a faster track, but they have to have the evidence to show that they belong in those three groups. Now, Florida Senator Marco Rubio opposes the bill. He says it's amnesty and he won't support it. What is your reaction to that? Well, this is a challenge that we, we've had in the U.S. since, uh, since the Reagan years when uh, uh, President Reagan called it an amnesty. Uh, the reason uh, why this word is, is used usually is for politics. It's very inflammatory. It's very divisive. But the truth is, is that we need a solution. We need a, a permanent solution. Uh, on the one side, uh, Republicans like uh, Marco Rubio or others are calling DACA an, a, a Band-Aid and that the Congress needs to act. And on the other hand, once there is a proposal, they call it amnesty. So they have to be able to, to work through those challenges. It's the job of, of the new administration to be able to negotiate and get something through. Obviously, there is a lot of Trumpism still uh, in the air and people have to worry about their, their seats. Um, but I think it's country first and then uh, then party. And just on that, amongst your clients, is there faith that this administration will be able to pass sweeping immigration reform? That's the best question out of the entire interview because mm -hmm. it is the people that are going to be uh, affected that are very dismayed about the promises that they had uh, uh, from the Obama years and then the very rough rhetoric uh, through the Trump years, and um, the activists now are, are, are expecting, and also individuals that are going to be uh, benefit, benefited by this uh, bill, um, are, are pushing this administration to, to go through what uh, this community needs, and, and hopefully uh, the president uh, this time has the fortitude to make that happen. Great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Immigration attorney Ezequiel Hernandez. Thank you.
Now, meanwhile, the Biden administration is moving forward with their plan to scrap the so-called Remain in Mexico policy. Officials say some migrants affected by the Trump-era policy will be allowed to enter the U.S. on Friday. The move will begin only at the port of entry in San Isidro, California. The border crossings in Brownsville and El Paso, Texas, will then follow next week. Migrants will have to undergo COVID testing before coming into the U.S. In other news out of Washington, following the Capitol Hill riots, nearly 5,000 U.S. National Guard troops will remain in the nation's capital through mid-March due to concerns about potential violence. Congressman Adam Smith, the top Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee, spoke about the matter Wednesday. He says there is online chatter amongst QAnon supporters who suggest former President Trump could still be inaugurated on March 4th. While that is untrue, officials want to make sure another Capitol riot, like the one last month, does not happen again. The Department of Homeland Security says there are no credible threats at this time, but they are still monitoring intelligence. The agency says the biggest terrorism-related threat in the U.S. comes from small groups inspired by domestic extremist beliefs. And the New York Times is reporting that promotions for several female generals were reportedly delayed by Pentagon officials out of the fear of former President Donald Trump. General Mark Melly and then Defense Secretary Mark Esper reportedly worried if the promotions were announced under Trump, the White House will replace them with their own candidates before leaving office. Lieutenant General Laura Richardson has been recommended to head up Southern Command and General Jacqueline Van Ovest was tapped for the Transportation Command. Esper reportedly said the women were chosen because they were the best for the jobs and he didn't want their promotions derailed by former President Trump. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Continues to hammer the economy. First-time filings for unemployment insurance jumped higher last week in a sign of continuing problems for the labor market. New claims totaled 861,000. That's the highest level in just one month. Meanwhile, concerns are growing over COVID-19 variants in the U.S. The CDC warning they could cause a sharp rise in cases. And authorities are asking the public not to rely on vaccines yet. All this as extreme weather across the country freezes vaccination efforts. Lorraine Casares has more details. The CDC warning that COVID-19 variants can cause a sudden sharp rise in cases in the U.S. The agency releasing new reports stating the variants first identified in South Africa coincided with the rapid rise in cases in Zambia, and the same scenario is possible here. I know these variants are concerning, especially as we're seeing signs of progress. 
I'm talking about them today because I am concerned too. The agency now also saying the UK variants could become dominant in the US by the end of March. Right now, at least 42 states have reported cases. In Maryland, the governor announcing Wednesday the state's first confirmed case of the Brazil variant. The governor of New Jersey pleading with his residents to be aware and avoid unnecessary risks. First of all, folks, don't travel to Brazil and South Africa right now. I couldn't be clearer. Meanwhile, according to a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, the Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna vaccines appear to protect people against variants, including the South African variant. Although those blood samples had less antibody activity, the virus was still neutralized. Despite the good news, the CDC is asking the public not to rely on vaccinations to stop a potential surge. About 5% of Americans have been uh, vaccinated twice. Um, and so what I would say is we're not at the place where we believe that the current level of vaccination is what is driving down the current level of, of uh, disease. A wave of extreme weather has frozen vaccination effort, making delivery of doses impossible and many states have no supply left. Um, but there is an impact on deliveries. And we're encouraging uh, governors and other partners to do is to extend hours once they're able to reopen. Uh, you know, many vaccination sites do operate 24-7, uh, you know, through the weekends, through the evenings. And we want to make sure that as, as we've lost some time in some states for people to get needles in arms, that our partners do all they can to make up that last lost ground uh, consistent with distributing uh, the vaccine to people as efficiently and equitably as possible. And the CDC is also announcing that the pandemic has officially shaved off a year off of life expectancy for Americans. That number dropping from 77.8 from 78.8 to 77.8. That's the biggest drop since World War II. And of course, minorities most affected black Americans shaving off three years and Hispanics just shy of two. Meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida is standing by defending himself and threatening to divert doses from uh, counties that don't agree with his distribution. This after Manatee County officials were questioning why he distributed 3,000 vaccine doses to a wealthy neighborhood in that county instead of more deserving, more needing uh, communities in that county that are under, under communities. And he is we thank you, Lorraine, for that information live from Miami. Now in related news, the New York lawmaker is claiming that Governor Andrew Cuomo threatened to destroy his career over a coronavirus controversy. Democratic Assemblyman Ron Kim alleges Cuomo called him last week and said, quote, he would destroy his career if Kim did not help Cuomo deal with the nursing home scandal in that state. According to Kim, the Cuomo administration was concerned about a potential federal investigation, and that is why it delayed sharing the COVID-related death toll of nursing home residents. Cuomo's advisors denies that claim, but now the U.S. attorney in Brooklyn, as well as the FBI, FBI are looking into the matter. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.